0: You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia.
1: How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier Richard McCall. Shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 389 of the Colombia Calling Podcast. This week's episode is newsworthy and incredibly important. Well, at least in my mind, we're talking about the humanitarian disaster taking place at Colombia's border, well, with the Darien Gap, and of course Panama's border with the Darien Gap. We have addressed the Darien jungles a few times. You'll remember our three-part episode with Nadia Drost over a year ago. Of course, Drost won the Pulitzer Prize for her story for California Weekend magazine about that, the harrowing and just so very difficult uh, you know, death death defying trek that people do from Colombia's Colombia side to the Panamanian side. Uh, It's 60 miles, but it takes anywhere between seven and 10 days. And we talked to Medicos Sin Fronteras, that's uh, Doctors Without Borders. Uh, We talked to Raul Lopez, who's a coordinator for Eastern Panama, and Dr. Fabiola Pintado, who, of course, is a healthcare worker. And they're both there in Bajo Chiquito, Panama, where the migrants from all over the world, of course, we've got from Haiti, from Cuba, of course, in in the region, and then as far flung as places such as Congo, Syria, Nepal. And they emerge from the jungle in such a dreadful state. And we're talking to these two well, amazing individuals from Médecins Sans Frontières, Médicos Sin Fronteras, and their work and their fears and everything about this migrant, uh, you want to say flow, but I would say this migrant flood emerging from the jungles of the Darien into Panama and how governments must work together, first and foremost, the Colombian and the Panamanian must work together to, well, ease the troubles of these people suffering suffering so much that they will travel for many of them over a year to get this far so that's what we are talking about in segment three of course you've got the new segment coming up and this is a huge thank you and I, I mean I'm really touched we are both really touched Emily Hart and myself that so many people have signed up on the Patreon campaign page. That's patreon.com Columbia calling for the subscription news service. That's Columbia news reported by Emily Hart for $1 a month. You can sign up and then uh, you get an audio file dropped into your WhatsApp account on Monday around midday with news update and well this week we've had about 16 signups so i'm really amazed by this of course we want to make it sustainable and would like as many as you as possible to sign up but here's a huge thank you to those of you who've signed up and you know who you are uh maybe next week i'll read out the long list of uh of well, supporters of the Columbia Calling podcast on Patreon. So thank you again for listening. Uh, interesting times, as always, in Colombia, never a dull moment at all. I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Emily Hart, who uh, will bring you the news segment next. And then we'll be back with Medicos Sin Fronteras there in the field in Bajo Chiquito talking to us from Panama. Thank you again. Don't go away.
2: I'm Emily Hart. And these are your top stories from Colombia for the week of August 16th, 2021. At least 18,677 minors were recruited by armed group The FARC between 1996 and 2016 during Colombia's armed conflict, the transitional court, the HEP, reported this week. Also this week in Peace Process News, the Public Prosecutor's Office has requested that the HEP open four new investigations, known as macro cases, on disappearances, forced displacement, sexual violence and illegal methods of warfare used during the civil conflict. These would add to the seven macro cases already open. The prosecutor's office has already identified more than 2,000 victims of sexual violence and 80,000 victims of enforced disappearance during the conflict. Outrage in Colombia this week as an influencer, Danedi Barrera Rojas, known as EPA Colombia, was sentenced to five years in prison for damaging Bogotá's public transport infrastructure, something she herself recorded on video during the protests. The sentence is seen as extremely severe and accompanied by a substantial fine as well as a ban on the use of social networks. Magistrate Juan Carlos Arias distanced himself from the decision, arguing that his colleagues had compared EPA's acts to terrorism, making the sentence much harsher, a comparison he rejected, saying she acted with a sense of protest. It's a comparison commonly used to stigmatise and criminalise protest in Colombia and worldwide. Meanwhile, in Cali, the epicentre of the National Paro demonstrations of this year, protesters handed over the last of the police stations they had occupied during the movement. The very last had become known as the Port of Resistance. There, since the beginning of the strike, young people from the front line had set up a permanent encampment. The investigation for witness tampering and bribery against former President Álvaro Uribe continues, as Prosecutor Gabriel Jaimez concluded his arguments for the dismissal of the case this week. In September 2011, Senator Iván Cepeda produced testimonies linking Uribe and his brother to paramilitary group United Self-Defense Forces. Uribe accused Cepeda of fabricating evidence. Though in 2018, a court concluded that Cepeda was not just innocent of fabricating evidence, but instead the victim of Uribe himself, who had fabricated witness testimonies to back up his own accusations. This week, Prosecutor Gabriel Jaimez, in his conclusion, announced that he would be trying to revive the case against Cepeda, Though that case was dismissed years ago in another court, and a key witness retracted his claims. One of Colombia's richest men died this week, leaving his gigantic business empire to his four children. Carlos Ardía Lula died at ninety-one in Cali, owner of RCN Radio, RCN Television, Postobon Soft Drinks, the Cauca and Providencia Sugar Mills, and football team Atlético Nacional. His influence over public opinion had made him one of the most powerful businessmen in Colombia in addition to his significant contributions to the political campaigns of Presidents Álvaro Uribe, Juan Manuel Santos and Iván Duque. Antonio José Ardila, son of the late businessman, is Colombia's ambassador to London. Women have disproportionately suffered the effects of this pandemic, both in terms of employment and health. Early maternal mortality has risen by a shocking 50% during the pandemic in Colombia. The main cause of this is that barriers to accessing safe abortions already extremely high in the country increased during the health crisis, leading women to seek unsafe procedures, which lead to uterine haemorrhages, the leading cause of death among pregnant women in Colombia. Meanwhile, cases of coronavirus itself continue to fall in the country, now at around 4,000 new cases per day. More than 40% of the population has now had one dose of vaccine and nearly 30% are fully vaccinated. Thanks for listening. Those were your top stories from Colombia for the week.
1: And we're back. This is the third segment of Colombia Calling, episode 389. It's a very special episode because I've got two distinguished guests on the line from Bajo Chiquito in Panama. That's on the other side. Of the Darien Gap, you know, the Colombian side is this, Neclocli, Necocli and Capurgana. And on the other side is Bajo Chiquito. And of course, you'll all have heard of the humanitarian crisis that is taking place. So I've got members of Doctors Without Frontiers or Doctors Without Borders as Medicos Sin Fronteras or in French, Médecins Sans Frontieres. I have the coordinator of, project coordinator of Doctors Without Borders in eastern Panama, Raúl López originally from spain and of course the doctor fabiola Pintado, mexican and they're up there working in this well this crisis so welcome on the colombia calling podcast
3: thank you very much richard it's a pleasure for us to be with you here so we can discuss and talk what is happening here because it's really really a crisis like you said
1: it's really really a crisis so i mean you're on the panamanian side uh, how long have you been running this project up there
3: my colleagues right Probably first week of April. and I joined him uh, uh, second week of May. So uh, doctors with started uh, making a kind of expo we call, and uh, we started our operations at the end of April.
1: So you've been in since the middle, uh, end of April, and what I'm reading in the what I'm reading in the press is that in the first six months of this year. There have already been 27,000 people crossing the border, the Darien Gap there.
3: I'm sorry, Richard. I think it's not correct. Since uh, the end of July, now we are talking about 46,000 people.
1: 46,000. So we're talking about another 20,000 on top of actual estimates at the moment. That's
3: correct. It means... That normally the average, uh, the previous and former months, it was around 4,000, 5,000. But uh, if we talk about the last two months, uh, in June, they were uh, around uh, 8,000. But July, we are talking about 11,000. Most of them families, most of them children, almost 20%
1: 20% are children, of course. So, so these are families coming through with, with minors.
3: A lot of them. And some of the women uh, yeah. are pregnant. And some of the women, they are delivering in the middle of the jungle. And the worst thing, Richard, most of them, they have been robbed, assault in the middle of the world. And most of the women raped. Uh,
1: and and so these are the, the bandits, the guides, the people, paramilitaries, these are dissident groups, these are just, I mean, just the world's most evil people who are taking advantage of the most, the people who are most suffering.
3: Yeah. We don't really know who is uh, doing all this terrible, terrible acts. But let us just say evil people, for sure. Yeah. That's the reason why Doctors with Borders is making a call to both governments, uh, Colombian and Panama authorities to try to protect as much as possible migrants crossing the Doreen, or trying to find uh, safe routes, because it's not a crime to be a migrant. All of them, or most of them, they have no option, they have no choice. They need to cross the Doreen, because they need to arrive to safe countries, because their home countries, they are suffering violence, they are suffering conflict, or due to COVID, Uh, due to this pandemic. They lost their jobs or the salaries they are getting. They are not enough to live in this country.
1: That's a very important uh, point you made. It's not a crime to be a migrant. And of course, you're totally right. And then they're subjected to these inhumane situations, hiking. It's a 60 mile gap or 97 kilometers and it takes up to 10 days. And I mean, how many people are you seeing coming out of the jungle each day, more or less?
3: This is a good opportunity uh, to let uh, talk our doctor and responsible of medical activities in the project, because uh, she's coming from Maho Chiquito. This is the first population in Panama site, and uh, she was there for almost two weeks, and uh, she is able to talk better than me.
1: Excellent. Thank you.
0: Okay, um, our medical team is providing medical attention also with a team of psychologists and um, and we are providing the, this medical attention 24-7. Okay, we're all the time there in Bajo Chiquito and we are giving uh, about 150 medical consultations approximately a day. But sometimes uh, when... A lot of people is arriving. We can give about 300 consultations in a day.
1: And so you, you, you're uh, overwhelmed? Almost.
3: Richard, I'm sorry I'm interrupting my colleague. Uh, we are supporting the Ministry of Health here in Panama. And we were asking since the beginning their collaboration because it's not MSF's duty to do what we are doing. Uh, it's the Ministry of Health and the Panama authorities who has to take care mm-hmm. of this uh, and the needs they uh, have when they arrive to Panama. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my colleague said, the average is an yeah. It's overwhelming. But I can tell you that in three months and a half, uh, doctors with the borders, my doctors, nurses, psychologists colleagues, they have found more than 16,000 consultations. This is a huge number of consultations. And we are talking only about physical consultation, but also we are supporting the migrant population in mental health uh, activities. The conditions they arrive, not only because, I repeat, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. some of them, or a lot of women have been raped. They have a lot of consequences related to uh, mental health uh, Stability. And uh, the people who is surrounding these women, they have been observing what happened, doing nothing because they have been right. with a gun next to them. So nothing they can do. Uh, this is the reason we are providing to them uh, mental health services, medical services, and uh, other needs that uh, probably... Doctors Without Borders is not providing in other uh, places we are working in, but we are the only organization who is there uh, 24 hours, seven days a week. We need more support from the authorities, and we need more support from national and international organizations to be more involved in this uh, crisis situation in Bajo Chiquito. Mm-hmm. We really We'll talk about other points. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about this is working. Also. Hey,
1: Dr. Fabiola, what are the biggest, what are my, the most frequent issues that the medical team are dealing with upon the exit of the migrants from the jungle?
0: Yeah, uh, most of the people that are arriving to uh, the healthcare center are um, skin diseases and the lessons are that are a result of the journey they have made. Okay. Some of them, yeah, they have like sprains or even fractures in some parts of your body. We are also being witness of uh, some COVID cases, okay, that we have been detecting there, and um, not communic communicative uh, mm. non communicable diseases, transmission diseases, mm-hmm. non transmission diseases also, uh, and also pregnant women. Uh, so have already said, uh, these women that are arriving, they are in the last trimester of their pregnancy. So it's a, um, it's a really complicated situation because we try to evacuate them as soon as possible so they can get to a better infrastructure of health so they can have a follow-up. To avoid that they deliver, because there it, it's also uh, a small place and we didn't have all the All the the needs we have, we need there to provide medical attention. Mm.
1: I I was going to ask about COVID later, but it seems quite timely now. Obviously, you are tracing cases of COVID coming through. Is it a high percentage? Because, of course, I mean, it's everywhere.
0: (laughs) We only uh, perform the COVID test to those people that have symptoms. Okay, but we can We are not able to say that the the average is high because, as you know, the asymptomatic population can be really, really high.
1: I I, I just I mean I'm trying to get my head around this figure. That last year or the year before, some journalists I know uh, wrote an Im- incredible piece about crossing the Darien Gap. Uh, a Canadian lady named Nadia Drost for a magazine in the US and won the Pulitzer Prize for this article. And she and her team, (laughs) she and her team crossed it and, you know, were with Bangladeshis and and, uh, people from Syria and people from Ghana. And they were seeing people dying on the side of the pathway. I mean, it's, it, I just, I can't get my head around how difficult the hike must be. Have you, have you ventured into the jungle itself, either of you, to see the, the, you know, the, the, the situation there? I'm
3: sorry, Richard. Uh, we have not. Mm. Why? Because it's not safe. And uh, we need our doctor, psychologists, and nurses working on uh, medical uh, needs. Uh, it's not safe, like I said, mm. like, uh, now, this uh, Robert, I don't know which is the proper and accurate word to mm. call him, Yeah, are really near. We know that uh, most of the rapes we are treating in our, I'm sorry, I'm low battery. We will try to manage. Uh, most of the cases we are treating, and I can say in three months and a half, we have seen 105 women. We know there are more of them, but not all of them, they want to talk about it. Not all of them, even if they put in risk, their own safety, their uh, uh, own health, they don't want to talk, they don't want to recognize, they don't want to say to anybody what happened to them. But what we know, because most of them, 75%, have been raped in less than 72 hours, it means, is being down in Panamanian sites. We know that some of them have been raped also in Colombian sites, or even before arriving to Colombia. But 75% in Panamanian sites. I'm sorry, i repeat again. We need both governments talking and arriving to a conclusion to protect migrants crossing or avoiding to cross the ve this mm-hmm. is not a duty to say what to do yeah. I mean they need a safe route and they need protection
1: what do you what do you I mean what would you call upon the Colombian government to do I mean obviously Colombia is you know, has all sorts of challenges anyway and of course has uh, been reasonably or or, or, or quite um, a fraternal to its Venezuelan neighbor, the sister country, uh, taking in so many millions of Venezuelans. But what would you uh, call upon the Colombian government to do in this situation?
3: It's a good question, Richard, but uh, as a medical and humanitarian organization, I don't think uh, doctors with the borders should give opinion or to talk about what authorities uh, do or not uh, do. but what well, we are sure if uh, we see Till today, uh, the migrant policies in different countries have been failed. I mean, migrants continue crossing the world because it's amazing. Mm-hmm. We can see here uh, nationalities from all around the world, Richard. It means from Western Africa, from uh, Central Africa, it means Congo, uh, Ghana, uh, Sierra Leone, uh, Côte d'Ivoire, uh, Senegal, mm-hmm. from Asia. I can say Bangladesh, Nepal, India, uh, Uzbekistan, Central Asia. It's amazing. And from uh, mostly Haiti and Cuba, 75% are coming from Haiti and Cuba. But I'm sorry, just one more minute. They are not coming from Haiti or Cuba directly. They started uh, their trip, their journey, two, three years ago because of the situation of their home countries, But they arrived to countries like Chile, Brazil, they found a job, Uruguay, and they were settled down there for two or three years. They had children there with a passport different from Haiti. So uh, they needed, because of, like I said, covid pandemic, uh, violence and uh, crisis situation in these countries, to uh, start again their trip. Uh, and they want to arrive to a safe country they want to have new opportunities they want to have a new life and it means most of them they want to arrive to the united states no doubt
1: i mean are there different seasons i, mean, I know it's rainy season between april and december so it's even more difficult the crossing, but are there different seasons to different nationalities coming through? So you say, okay, well, it's July; uh, we we normally get more waves of Haitians, or we more more waves, or it's just always a mixture of different nationalities.
3: Okay, another good, good question, Richard. Since today, Haitian uh, are uh, the number one. Secondly, uh, Cubans, but in the last two months we faced a uh, Venezuelan, uh, I don't know how to say it properly in English, uh, mm-hmm. Venezolanos, <laughs> y Venezolanas, <laughs> uh, growing up. It means that the last month, probably the figure is double mm-hmm. than the previous month. And uh, probably uh, the same quantity than from, uh, sorry, January till June. Mm-hmm. The last month in July, they were crossing from Venezuela, double of the citizens
1: from uh, this country. It's a, it's just an, an incredible number, and I'm I'm looking at the the figures on the Colombian side. Obviously, being here in Colombia, and it's not really being reported. There's a little bit here and there in the press, but it's such a, you know, Necoclí is so far away from Bogota. It's almost a a different part. I mean, it's almost a different country up there, right? And and. And I'm just thinking about it. We know that Nekokli has a population of 21,000 people normally, and it's now at 32,000 people. So there's some, you know, uh, they say anywhere between 8,000 and 12,000 people waiting in Nekokli to cross the the the, the bay, the Bahía de Urabá, uh, up to uh, up to Capurganá, and so you just know. That there's like it's it's almost I would say in Spanish una represa de, uh, de gente, so like a, a reservoir of people are are ready to come. I, I mean, how do you prepare for this?
3: Wow, uh, yeah, like I said, nobody is going to stop this. Uh, not the not today. I mean, not uh, this year. Not in the coming years. Uh, this is a phenomenon uh, all around the world, and it's going to continue for years not any rain, the rainy season is going to stop them. And uh, like you said, even if I am, I'm sorry, a, a little bit more pessimistic, because now we have crisis in Haiti and we have a crisis in Cuba. And like I said before, in the countries in the past, all these migrants uh, were used to stay for years. Now there is no disruption. So it means that probably in coming months, more Cubans and more Haitians are going to start their new trip. Mm. And there is no other way because they are not going to stay in these second home countries. They are going to try to go directly through Colombia to Panama and the United States again. And Canada.
1: Probably some of them,
3: they would like to go to Canada too.
1: I'm, I'm curious as to, as to something you said earlier, why maybe... Uh, People, uh, women, have been raped in the 72 hours prior to arriving. Why is it happening so much on the Panamanian side?
3: Okay. According to their testimony, I think there is some point called Loma de la Muerte. They arrived there exhausted and uh, it's the beginning of probably a point, three rivers, three different rivers are uh, making a kind of join and probably it's a good point for that, I'm not sure but that's the reason probably most of the events are happening there and that's the reason they are arriving uh, between uh, 8, 3, 10, 24 and 72 hours.
1: Awful, awful. Dr. Uh, Fabiola maybe you could share with us some of the stories uh, maybe of your team in in Bajo uh, Chiquito and how they're feeling because i would like to know if your team is getting psychosocial help uh, because this is not this is not healthy obviously working uh, you know mentally with these people suffering so badly
0: yeah sure well <clears throat> What I can tell you is that uh, most of the patients that we treat, not only in the medical consultation, uh, but also that arrive to take their child or a friend, um, they share with us their their stories, their experience in the Darien, and most of them talk about not only the, the hard On so difficult uh, journey they have made, but also that they have been witness of people dying in the jungle because of the lesions that they, or the injuries they have, and they can't continue um, about the river rising and taking uh, some people. And yeah, it has been really difficult for the team to contain all this information, and they are and we are making our best to provide the best. Uh, medical and psychological attention. Mm-hmm. Our our teams also receive uh, psychological attention. Okay, so they can continue making this extraordinary for the doctors without borders are providing in this in this point. But uh, as Valhardo uh, already said, it's really impressive. I have been working with uh, migrants for the last two three years. And I have never seen this amount of rapes in so short time. Mm.
3: Uh, Just to add, Richard, I'm sorry. Uh, like you said, it's very important to uh, take care of the people who is taking care. That's the reason Dr. that has since a long, long time ago. And a special unit we call psychosocial unit based in Barcelona, in Spain. Uh, so... Anybody from our project or other projects around the world can call, can send uh, an email, can uh, do whatever they need to contact them privately and to try to get help from them. Apart from that, we have what we call Cuidado del Cuidador. Uh, there are some uh, special uh, organizations providing these services to us. And this is really important, I uh, like to say. So uh, that's the reason, and it's just my last point. Uh, it was very important at the beginning that people like uh, Dr. Fabiola came from Mexico because we started a project uh, in 2012 in Mexico since today to help the migrants crossing Mexico to try to arrive to the U.S. border. So that's the reason at the beginning most of our team was composed from people from this project, because they had the statistics and they had the experience treating same horrors or same cases uh, from migrants crossing uh, Central America and crossing Mexico, it was really important, and we were really glad to get all this help from our colleagues in Mexico.
1: Excellent, wonderful. I had uh, uh, one of the anecdotal things I recall from my interviews with the journalist who who did the trip. Um, uh, she said that people, uh, in particular, obviously not the uh, people from Haiti or, or Cuba, but people really didn't know, uh, not just the Darien Gap, the geography, but they kind of figured they were going to arrive at Panama, and the U.S. is just on the other side. The the United States is right there. Is this is this something you see a lot? Is this the the, the absolute? Let's say lack of information that the migrants have been uh, given, because I guess they sort of pay coyotes from wherever they started, or the you know this inadvertent commas the travel agencies, but they don't have the information about what they're going to go through, do they?
3: Yeah, you are right. But uh, on the other side, uh, some or oh, I think probably depending on the nationality they have probably because they speak uh, Spanish, so probably it's more easy for Cubans and from, uh, for Venezuelans, uh, Bolivians, to get this information from their own relatives who tried uh, in the past, uh, and they succeeded mm-hmm. to cross the gap. But probably nationalities from Asia or Africa or a- other countries, they have this language barrier. Mm. And they don't know exactly, like you say, what uh, they are going or what is going to happen to them. Mm. And it's true, like you say, most of them, and this is not dependent on the nationality, they think they can cross the end up in two, three days maximum. And that's not true. Mm. Now, because of the rainy season, like you said, they need probably minimum seven, ten days, if you are in a good faith. Mm. Because they need, like I said, to climb uh, up to uh, climb down a lot of different mountains. They need to cross rivers, and this is a problem. Some of them, they don't succeed to do it. We know, because of the testimonies of the uh, migrants, a lot of people is dying in the tank. Some of them, they are buried for their own relatives because it's important for them to get mental release, at least giving peace the bodies of the relatives. They face people dying on the river. They are losing their own children because they don't know when the river grows up. And normally, they are trying to sleep in safe places next to the river. But in five minutes, the river can change. Mm-hmm. And some of them, they are losing their lives there. So it's not like I said, they are uh, getting robbed or they are getting raped. Also, it's really dangerous There are a lot of risks
1: Uh, in the middle of the channel. I mean, mean, so I'm thinking, and and how is the reception? We kind of know the Colombian side a bit, but how is the reception of of these migrants? They are processed uh, on the Panamanian side, and then uh, does the Panamanian government put them on buses north? I mean, what is the process once they are in Panama?
3: Okay, Uh, I can say there are two words uh and two hosting communities uh can i is one of them but we are not there because the amount of migrants arriving there and the conditions they arrive uh, they don't have enough uh, human resources and uh, economic resources to be everywhere but we are in three different points uh, the other uh, host community is bajo chiquito most of them they are arriving to bajo chiquito one the National Service of uh, Immigration is registering them and the National Services of Borders is helping them, they need to go what they call uh, ERM. It means uh, Migrant Reception Station or something like that. There are two of them in uh, metete or near Metete, which is the biggest town after three hours traveling in pirogues. It means uh, a kind of boat. I mm-hmm. don't know. Because uh, there are local uh, means of transport. I don't know how you say that in English or Canada. A canoe. but mm-hmm. uh, Probably is something similar to that. It means that they cannot continue uh, from Bajo Chiquito on their own. They need the authorities and the permission of them to get into one of these pirogs and after three hours, they arrive to one of these uh, migrant stations. We are there, too, in both of them, providing the same kind of services we are providing in Chiquito. It means psychologists, doctors, and nurses are waiting for them in contact, both teams, because in some cases, we need to continue providing treatment, or we need to track if they need other uh, things. So... It's really important that more help arrive to Bajo Chiquito, like mm-hmm. I said, because everybody is overwhelmed
1: there. I mean, would it, be a, would it be a better situation if the Colombian government and the Panamanian government organized, a, a, you know, let's say a, a more legal route, I don't know, put on a... I, I'm, I'm talking like in a fantasy land here, but with all these people living on the beach in Necoclí and in Kapurgana, this is not good. This is not healthy. We are also in a pandemic. Could they not put them on a naval boat and deliver them safely to the Panamanian side, uh, You know, some sort of organization? I mean, uh, Medicos Sin Fronteras obviously is apolitical, but there must be greater recommendations than do not try through the Darien Gap. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like a death sentence.
3: Yeah, you're right. And this is why we were making this call uh, bo- uh, different and several times to both governments. Obviously, can be a solution. I can say that Dr. With voters was given this recommendation. We are talking about a safe route, we are talking about protection. The last week, everybody, we have uh, read different news and different announcements from both governments. I hope this is a reality in coming weeks, coming days, or coming Mm months. Because this is going to be the solution,
1: of course. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, uh, Raul, you said that the numbers, I mean, uh, the number I had, of course, is is different to the number that you are saying, like some sort of 46,000 people. By the end of the year, with the troubles going on in Cuba right now, even more instability in Haiti, this you know we've got we're in August september october November December, four more months uh it this number could be seventy thousand eighty thousand even i mean it we're looking at a huge increase i think
3: yeah uh I think nobody knows, but like I said our perception is it's not gonna be stopped by anything by anybody, and it means we need permanent solutions we need permanent structures, we need permanent people working on this issue. It means everything who is semi-permanent, who is in a short time uh, period, I don't know, this is not, for me, the best solution. We mm. need to think in a long-term vision. Uh,
1: Dr. Dr. Uh, Fabiola, I mean, with your experience through Mexico and, of course, then the migrants coming through Central America. Uh, you know the, obviously, the situation differs from people coming out of the Darien Gap, but uh, you know, what, I mean, what would you say is, is that what is most needed from a medical standpoint, from your standpoint, what is most needed, if we were to make a shout out to international organizations and say, "Listen, médicos Sin fronteras, they need this." this is what's lacking. We don't have enough of this to help these people. What would it be?
0: I think that the most important thing uh, was told by Raúl a few minutes ago. To be a migrant is not a crime. So to facilitate uh, the access to the medical attention, uh, whatever it is, I mean, like, uh, if you're pregnant, you have a delivery, safe in decent place to... Delivered baby, or uh, to have medical access, to have a high blood pressure control, mm. etc. It's um, it's something that is basic and it's one of human rights. Mm. You know, to have uh, access to medical services and also to be able to provide or uh, for the migrants to have access to medical services and psychological services. Because, uh, for example, in the that the migrants that are coming from Central America, uh, they have, uh, their the, the immigration is uh, mostly because of the violence they are living in their home places. So they have to run away from, from there because they can, they have been um, families or uh, have been killed or stuff like that. They have been threatened, et cetera. Or torture. I don't know. There are different causes, but the violence in Central America is one of the main reasons they are deciding to, to move on. Mm. The have access to psychological services and medical service is something that is essential.
1: Uh, and,
3: and, here, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, Justin, in my line. <laughs> <laughs> in, line. No, no, no. Adding more uh, aspects that they need. I'm going to put you an example women arriving alone to our health facility in Bajo Chiquito without being able to give one more step because uh, she has their own feet. Yeah. And uh, she's alone because the father or the child she's traveling with, they are in the middle of the jungle because they couldn't walk anymore too. It means when she's in our facility, after being cured, after being attended, she needs to get a place to sleep. He needs to pay for. She needs to get probably clothes because she's wet. And it was it was robbed. They do she sorry doesn't have anything to put on. And she has not a mobile phone to communicate with anybody to try to get money from the relative outside from Panama. And it means she cannot pay a plogue because she needs to pay for the plogue to go out next day. This is the situation. So a, that's the reason we made the call. More needs, more organizations are needed there. Because all these needs, they are nothing related to the with doctors with the borders in terms of medical needs.
1: It's a it's a vicious circle when they you know in this you so you come in, you've been robbed, you've been raped you have no clothes or you need medical attention, you need to buy food, you need to pay for a place. This sounds to me that it's not, you know, Medicos Sin Fronteras does a a noble job and an an amazing effort, but you need to be working with other NGOs, right? And there need to be other specialists helping out, you know, all of you working together to, I, I, I couldn't name any, but it sounds like it needs to be a combined effort between many NGOs.
3: And not only NGOs. Like I said before, we are, and we are right here to collaborate with the Ministry of Health. And they are supporting us with some doctors and some nurses. But it's not enough. They are not capable to respond alone till today, at least. We would like they have this uh, capability to do it in the future. This is why we're here, waiting for this moment. And that's the reason we are making this call to, to the government of Panama. Excellent. The Ministry of Health has to respond to this crisis.
1: Yeah. What, when, I mean, in Medicos Sin Fronteras, Doctors Without Borders, do you have representation in each Central American country? So, the migrants, when they cross, let's say, Panama into uh, Nicaragua or Costa Rica, there are people there who can, you know, there are your colleagues there to look after them as well?
3: Actually, uh, we have some projects, not all of them, uh, like I say, with the direct relation with migrants, like Mexico, for example. But uh, we had some projects in uh, El Salvador. And we have a project in Honduras, too. So at least not a project in Costa Rica, because you can say like Panama is a developed country and yeah. the needs they, they have, they are not related to our activities.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I, I, all I can say is I wish you all the best of luck. Uh, this project that you've got in Eastern Panama is clearly... Going to be there for some time this is there's no quick fix you 're going to be there for some time uh, because this flow of migrants is is not going to end anytime soon I mean so how do you i mean how do you prepare i don 't even know i I, I just uh, it's it's overwhelming to try and even consider what you guys are facing and what the people are are suffering and what they are going through, getting to where you are so I mean, it gives us here in the comfort of Bogota some, you know, it gives us some relief that there are people such as you and entities such as yours, there helping others. But I guess what, what can we do to to help in any way? Because surely there must be some sort of effort that, that, uh, the, that let's say, the general public can do.
3: Richard, you are doing a lot today. Uh, giving us voice and to try to sensibilize government, people, population from other countries, to re-scivilize civilize is uh, happening here, because we know that till just uh, a few months, nobody spoke out about it. And uh, you know doctors with borders. We try to assist vulnerable people all around the world, but we talk and we speak what about we see and what about we think, is uh, not right. And that's a kind of regime. Migrant, to be a migrant, is not a crime, please. Mm-hmm. The human rights has to be has to be respect. So to be a migrant, is not a crime. Please, governments from Colombia and Panama try to protect and try to give a stable to them.
1: Well, I mean, if there's anything else you'd like to comment before, but I think it's been a, a very open and revealing and and pretty emotional uh, to hear these stories and to hear what you are calling out for this agreement between nations and this agreement and it's of course it's not a crime to be a migrant, it's not a crime, it's basic human rights is what we're clamoring for here, so let me take this moment to say thank you so much to Dr. Fabiola Pintao Originally from Mexico, but there, there on the front lines, I would say, Bajo Chiquito, in uh, in Panama, and of course, Raúl López, project coordinator, Doctors Without Borders for Eastern Panama. Thank you so much for your work, and thank you so much for your time joining me from the field to to share this uh, information with all of us.
3: Thank you very much, Richard. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank it's my much. pleasure. My pleasure. Keep up the good work. And thank you. Thank you for all you do. Thank you.
3: You're welcome you're
1: welcome really welcome oh, appreciate my, it my. that has been episode 389 of the Columbia Calling podcast quite a hard hitting podcast there for you very difficult indeed to understand what people go through very difficult to, to really get your head around what is going on at this part of the world and the humanitarian crisis that uh, that is that is unraveling and taking place there on the border between Colombia and Panama are these people driven from their homes in the hope of a better life or just a, you know, a a life up in the United States. So it's worth always read up about this, uh, write to your senators, write to your politicians and so on, Uh, you know, draw attention to this situation. So thank you for listening to this episode 389 of the Columbia Calling podcast. Don't forget to sign up for our news uh, segment, uh, subscription service with Emily Hart, journalist Emily Hart, based in Medellin. That's $1 a month via Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. You can get the news delivered in an audio file directly to your WhatsApp account wherever you are in the world. So that's a great opportunity for those of you seeking Columbia News uh, via your telephones to listen in your cars to your walk to work your cycle and so on thank you again to everyone who's listened we'll be back next week with more interviews and conversations with people talking about something to do with Colombia bye bye